1: If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. plushcare.com slash weightloss.
3: Hello and welcome to Transplants Take on Sport. My name's Lewis Daniels and joining me today is Kidney Transplant Recipient and Transplant Sport Kids and Teens Coordinator, Simon Elmore. We had a deep and open chat about Simon's journey from kidney failure to now, including some traumatic experiences with dialysis and other complications. Simon's story is inspirational and one I think anyone with or without a transplant would benefit from hearing, so please stick around and listen all the way through. As always, if you're enjoying the podcast, please make sure you press subscribe or follow so you don't miss an episode. And why not follow Transplants Take On Sport on social media? All the information is in the show notes. Simon Elmore, welcome to Transplants Take On Sport.
0: Thank you for having me, appreciate it.
3: So first things first, we're, we're recording this on what could be a big day. You, I'm sure you'll have seen this morning that first uh, today, today is the day that the vaccinations have started for COVID-19. So for people like us who have been extremely vulnerable to it, we hope this is a way for us to see our family and sort of get back to some sort of normal life. Are you feeling optimistic?
0: I am extremely. Um, as soon as they started talking about the vaccine, my, my first thought was I want the Oxford vaccine because it's UK based. That was my first instinct. That's the only one I'm going to have. And then it was passed with the uh, Pfizer. So it's like that really is the only one we can have because obviously the Oxford one found out is live vaccine. So it's right. Okay. Let's, let's hopefully be one of the top tier to get it. So we'll stick with the tiers. And um the bonuses i mean for me kidney care uh, have done so much information and explained so much for, for kidney patients about what's happening what's coming how it's going to affect how it's going to impact and i'm i'm more at ease because of the information i've got from uh the correct sources is that the nice way of putting it instead of the uh interesting stuff that comes on the internet so i i was i'm so positive now and it literally is you know, I've messaged my unit, uh, if you need anybody to test it first, I'm your man, just you know, get me in there as quick as you can, get me jabbed up. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
3: If it does work, which fingers crossed it will, it should see an end to us being stuck inside for a long period of time, because this year has been just an on and off lockdown really. How have you been coping
0: with it? I've... I've been pretty good to be fair. I mean me I'm with the wife, me and the wife we, we, we <laughs> I know it sounds daft, we we never argue. Uh which is nice and being in the house together it's just one of those things. My my biggest worry has been with the kids, the the transplant kids because as much as they've been able to go to school, it's not the norm and it's very scary and not knowing what and how things can affect them has has been to be fair has been my worry um that's my role that's what i do that's that's pretty much my life working with the kids and giving them the opportunity to be active and healthy and i've spoken to quite a few parents online some families and and the children as well and that you know hearing how they feel has been more of a concern than myself to be fair i'm in the house i'm pretty much isolated i do what i need to do and it's been okay i suppose
3: we're we're in a position where we're we're adults. We can maybe accept it better than some children might. It's going to be difficult for them yeah. with sort of interacting with their friends, family. And sort of how you broach that subject with a child must be difficult for those who've got kids with transplants or their parents with transplants who have children who are completely healthy. Yeah,
0: well... I've seen my youngest daughter, uh, who normally stays at my house every other weekend. Uh, she stayed at my house once since March, because it must be hard. It is, and uh, she, we, I'm lucky that she's just positive. But she's she's uh, within a family unit that a sister's extremely ill, a granddad's extremely ill, a great grand a great grandma great grandma's extremely ill. And that that pressure on a child is just uh, intense. and you know we talk, but she, you know it's, she has to be extremely careful and she understands she's fourteen, she understands, so she's she's in a, a good age group to 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 know what's going off. But the younger children, you know it's just it's just strange. you know this isn't this isn't the norm and how long's it going to last? You know that's 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 the thoughts, you know, and am I might, especially the kids that' have got parents that have, uh, had transplants. The the biggest concern with my my stepdad who lives with me is, am I going to bring it home? Am I going to then be the the one that's caused you to get COVID? You know, there's so much going off in the kids' heads and on top of everything else in a normal day.
3: There's a lot to think about at the moment, especially in the position that you're in with having a transplant, which we're going to come on to a lot more. You sent me your story last week, which I... I found a very interesting read, so I wanted to go all the way back to the start, to when you first found out you had kidney problems.
0: Yeah, um, bizarrely, uh, I was 33, Um, I'd had a a busy start to the year that year, Um, business went, car went, house went, partner went, and I think, unbeknown to me internally, my mental health wasn't in the best place, but... Smile, crack on, get on with it. And uh, in the May of uh, that year, I basically I was playing football five times a week, it was fit and healthy. And uh, I remember it vividly. I was it was uh, bank holiday weekend in May, and uh, went out with the boys. Had a few, uh, I would say, bevers, but not really, because it was uh, my drink was double vodka and Red Bull, and I used to drink far too much of it at that point. And uh, I literally woke up uh following morning and i went to the toilet and threw up kind of red and thought that must be the red bull <laughs> so <laughs> not to sorry went home and uh i up with a severe headache the next day and such a i can't call it a migraine i've never had a migraine but the pain was excruciating so i literally made my way up to um my parents house and i crashed on the bed and they, they kind of looked after me for a bit and went we're phoning the ambulance the ambulance came rushed me in and my blood pressure was 230 over 130 wow um and i was in agony first thing to say morphine 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 give me morphine and i closed my eyes woke up the next day to be told your kidneys have failed you're going to be on dialysis Not a nice thought to hear I just blew my mind completely. I just, uh, what what do you say to that? Why? Why? What? You know, and says, well, you know, just everything's just basically hit your body and your kidneys have taken the hit. And that was day one of depression for the next four years. I think that story will resonate with a lot of
3: people who've gone through kidney failure. It sounds slightly similar to mine. My blood pressure was a similar level to yours, but sky high. Top number being over two hundred, and the the bottom number being well into the hundreds. But you you sounded like you had some physical symptoms. Mine was all, I think the word is it an insidious disease, kidney disease, where there's no real symptoms. But there is that bit of shock. It's
0: difficult to take. I would say it was. First thought, my life's over. You know, I know it sounds harsh, but that was my only thought. What am I going to do? I'm not going to be able to selfishly, I'm not going to be able to do football. I'm not going to be able to go out my mates. Everything was selfish, selfish, selfish about what am I going to lose? And uh, it's not fair. I'm 33. It's not fair. Why has my life got to end now? And it is so hard to, to grasp at that point, even when there's so many people around you trying to support you and trying to give you the information. As soon as they say the words, your kidneys have failed, all I was hearing was blah, 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 blah. And I know that sounds really, really daft, but I couldn't take anything else in because my mind was just going into overdrive of what I'm going to do. Um, I can't work. I've got no possible income. Where do I go? Who's going to help me?
3: I think a lot of people have had the same thoughts when they were going through it. I struggled to, I mean, when I first found out I wasn't in kidney failure like you were, I was. I think I was still stage three. But it's still difficult to take, and you do become down. Some people, it's I think, probably on a scale as well. Some people take it harder than others. Some people can deal with it more quickly. You said you went into depression. How long would you say that? It might still be an ongoing thing, but how long would you say that really hit you for? It
0: it, it went on in a, in a deep, deep way for four four plus years. I mean, even up to the point where we'll come on to later where it was just, everything was, everything was negative. Everything was so unfair. Um, but I think the, the, the problem for me was I, I wasn't prepared to listen and understand my illness because it wasn't real. So I went on my, my, my normal day was Jeremy Kyle. If I'm watching Jeremy Kyle, their life's worse than mine. I can put a smile on my face. And at the weekends, I still try and go out with the boys. I still try, I, <laughs> I still turned up to play football with a tube hanging out my stomach because I was on peritoneal dialysis, even though the risk of infection was severe. But in my head, my life can't change. It's not fair. So I'm going to carry on the way I am and hope that oh, if, if something happens, it happens, but I don't care. You know, that was the, that was the mentality all the time. And people didn't see how bad it, I didn't allow people to see how bad it was. That was the thing, because I am me and I have to be strong without asking for help or wanting anybody to support me because I can't do that. I know it's, a, again, it's looking at that, that male bloat thing for me was very, very high in there that I can't show weakness. I think there's a bit of pride in there. Yeah, yeah, definitely
3: was there some sort of, could you think of a turning point in managing that and turning a corner?
0: Yeah. Um, It was, it was way after, but I think the way we get there is through part of the journey. I mean, from, from day one, I was on dialysis, I was on peritoneal dialysis and I would try and cheat the system, um, three bags of fluid a day, seven days a week, which was, the norm however i would try and bag up with a an orange bag to try and cheat the system and draw more fluid out my body because i was still going out on a friday saturday sunday and drinking 14 pints of double vodka red bull which doesn't help the cause at all because i was on a one liter fluid restriction and fluids going up fluids going up i'm going in and and giving fobbing off excuses for why my fluid's going up and things like that and it was, I think the first bout of per, uh, peritonitis, which, um, th- the fluid that came out of my body was green was, mm, it was scary, but I was thinking, well, yeah, well it happens, uh, carried on doing, uh, PD. And I again started to do four exchanges a day to try and cheat the system again. And I had a, serious bout of peritonitis which it was thick dark green in the um summer oh crack it when, was that? Uh, when i was 37 so i've been on it three uh, three and a half years and unfortunately i thought we thought it had gone but it was underlying so the peritonitis was still in the system and in the i think it was the october november of of that year i was rushed into hospital Pretty much um, on the borderline because what was coming out of me was thick, dark green, and I was I was in a bad way. It was uh, severe, and again, closed my eyes, woke up, can't do a peritoneal dialysis anymore. You've got to go into hemo. What's that? Again, totally ignorant. Didn't understand. Didn't want to know. Um, you're gonna have to have a needle in your arm three times a week, four time, uh, four hours a time. And my face dropped because I hate needles oh, with a passion. Even the tiny ones, anything, oh, I can't do them. And even that didn't change my mindset. It was just okay. I'm just going to adjust. Still going to go out with the boys. Still going to keep drinking because uh, I am an idiot. And uh, it was the case of why should I change my life? This illness shouldn't make me change anything. And just carried on. Um, one of the, one of the poignant poignant ones was. My fluid level was going up, my weight was going up, and the sister on the ward said, fair play to her, you do realise if you carry on this way, you're going to die soon. Maybe it's a bonus, that was my line. That's the words I said to her, and I don't care. And still, I was in depression and in denial for so long because I didn't want to understand it. And I didn't, I wouldn't listen to doctors and nurses because they'd not been through it. That was my biggest issue. There was not really anybody I wanted to turn to at that time to ask for help still, because my, my head was in the wrong place. But I wasn't prepared to listen and do what I should do to help my my cause. And this this carried going on, I went up to 17 and a half stone. And in the uh, 2012, in the October, uh, my, arm st- my arm started to go red, my hand started to go red, and I thought, okay, this is weird. So I'm in and out of the clinic all the time because I'm on dialysis three, three times a day. We'd, we'd ramped it up to four times a week, six hours a time to try and get the fluid off because I still wasn't doing as I was told. And uh arm's getting bigger, getting thicker, getting sore. And uh, it, January the 13th, um, I was at home with the wife in bed, and we. Uh, she she went downstairs, I went down, down, she said, bring my phone down, went down, stood outside with her, she asked me a question, and all I could do was go,
1: uh.
0: scary, she looked, yeah, she looked at me, says, go inside, okay, sat down, she came in and went, smile at me, and that's all I could do, faces dropped, she went, oh, you better stroke, just like that it was quite uh, surreal uh paramedics came out rushed me in and this was i think this was one of the biggest turning points in my life to be fair uh proper reality check got rushed in and thankfully it was they dealt with me so quickly and um i was i was out because i said i wanted to be out that day and the only place i didn't want to be was in Mau, because if you're an mau, stuff's really wrong. So it was like, I'm not staying. Uh, should have stayed because the following day they've done all the tests They firm me up. Says you need to come in now. Okay, so I went in. Uh, got good news and bad news. The good news is we found the problem. You've got uh, growth on your heart as big as a brussel. You've got a hole in your heart valve, and uh, we found the problem. The the um, growth. Flakes of it have come off, land on the speech part of your brain and shut you down. Right. Okay. So I've got my speech back after 36 hours, which was a bonus. Not for many. I'm sure that, you know, they would say that to do to, to talk a lot. But um, <laughs> the next part was the uh, the bad bit is that we can't operate for six weeks. We need to pump you full of antibiotics, get you ready for the operation so we can be prepared. So, But the problem is... You might die any second in the next six weeks because if that growth growth comes away, there's nothing we can do.
3: How did that feel hearing that? Uh,
0: I, I looked at the wife and went, "Whoa!" And she looked at me and went, "You're staying in. <laughs> I'm not waking up to a dead body. <laughs> no, no, no. Stay in, stay in, and, and make sure that they look after you." And that was it. Was it was surreal? You know the fact that um, I I couldn't get my head around it and. Even that, that just, my, my anxiety, my stress, my mental health just flew out the window and I slept an hour a day for six weeks because I closed my eyes. I'm not going to open them again. That was my only thought. Um, it must be horrible. Uh, it was just, it, did I sleep? Am I here? Am I awake? You know, it's just crazy. But the staff, the staff are amazing. Uh, the uh, Derby Royal, they're brilliant and... Uh, then it came to the day before the operation. Uh, so I was having the operation over at Leicester, again, Glenfield, brilliant place. And uh, I hadn't read any information about the operation. Again, less knowledge, less, less worry, less stress. And I had to read the leaflet. <laughs> 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 I had a right panic attack. The wife had to make her way down to see me, calm me down because it was just like, I'm not done. I'm definitely gonna I'm definitely gonna do Oh my God. What's going off? Well, what's a bit of reality check. And then, uh, the next day I had the operation, which should have been an eight hour operation and, uh, 18 hours later, uh, they came out and told the wife, he's going to be kept sedated for another 24 hours. He died twice on the table and he's going to be in a heat wrap. His temperature so low. We're not sure what's going to happen next. And, uh, We've just got to wait and see. Eventually, I woke up, and uh, at this point, I've got it. The wife's amazing. She didn't tell me what had happened. She Did you know thought, what had happened? No, no idea. So, I, don't, I thought common
3: when people say that like they died twice. I was watching. It's going to sound completely trivial. I watched it on a celebrity recently, and Russell Watson was on, who had had his he'd had a brain tumor, and he said when he was. He nearly died. I mean, you—you you
0: say you died twice.
3: Did you see the light?
0: The way I see it is, it's—it was definitely not my time. So there's nothing to see. Right. Okay. That makes sense. And uh, um, it was—it was that point, which was very strange because everybody was protecting me by not telling me. Because of the anxiety and the stress that I could 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 happen. So I was in great a great place. Less Glenfield was brilliant. 24-hour care. I was still dialyzing three four times a week next to the bed in high risk. And normally you're out in you're out in two days if you have a heart operation. And unfortunately I was there for a week and a half, and uh, got taken back over to Derby and they were again amazing amazing there. Uh, I was on 408 Normally I'm on four oh seven or renal, so it's quite quite close across the road, across the door, corridor. And uh, it was it was surreal because obviously then I've got to do more meds, and they were looking after me, brilliant care. And uh, this my arm was just getting bigger and bigger. It was weird because it was just the only way I can explain it. It was like Hellboy arm uh, massive cracking. I could see the bone through my finger, uh, and me, and me, uh, second finger on my left hand. I'm thinking something's really wrong here. And unfortunately, um, they came in, uh, after six weeks after my operation said, you've got sepsis. We're going to have to amputate your finger in three days. You are can lose your hand in five.
3: And again, another scary thought. How, how did you react to that? Um,
0: I went a little bit crazy i was going to sue everybody in the world and started off but i'm right i I want me i want all my medical notes i want everything this is so unfair it's not right it's just uh, literally i I just went into a hissy fit and it it was like it wasn't it wasn't anybody's fault but in my head everybody's to blame because i can't get my head around it and uh thankfully me me stepmom decided that she was going to raised the alarm bells a little bit more and made sure it got the heart kidneys hand guys all in the room and said what are you going to do and the hand clinic said well we'll sort it out tomorrow okay so the best hand specialist unit in the uk is at derby The uh, and they treat the royals so it's like yeah we'll tie off his fistula we'll put another fistula and they'll sort another fistula in his other arm and uh, He'll have to do 18 months of physio to get his finger about right. But, you know, he'll keep his hand. It's like, okay, another let-off. Brilliant. Um, and then it, it, I was in hospital still, for, for kept going. And uh, another eight weeks went by and got tired. Normal heartbeat. We need to stop and start your heart. And uh, we need to put you under again for uh, another operation. But it should be dead simple, in and out. Um, went down for the operation. Um, went in, died again because um, compli- some complications, and came out. And uh, I know it sounds that, but I had my uh, uh, renal consultant stood above me when I w- opened my eyes and went, "If you ever have a general again, I'll kill you myself. No more generals. That's it. You're done. That- Forget it. You're not happening." Uh, that was, you know, it's just. So at that point, I'm um, thinking, right, nearly there. We're going home. We're going home. And uh, seven months later, uh, uh, after being in the hospital all that time, let me go home. So I was like, right, okay, I've got to, got to adjust to this because my mental state was, what's next? You know, that was, yeah. that was the thing. And um, what have I got to do? I actually thought it can't get any worse. And then <laughs> two weeks later um I got rushed in with hypertension my heart rate was 222 wow. and uh I was in uh, critical and my um registrar Adam amazing guy he was looking after me he came in I was I was zonked anyway but he spoke to the wife and the wife uh, was told I got half an hour to live because my heart rate was too high and it wasn't coming down. And if it didn't come down with the next half an hour, there's nothing they can do. Um, That's been horrible. I, I had no clue. It, the wife's gone through more than I can ever imagine. You know, she she's seen it, taken in and gone through it all. And um, he basically went, right, we're going to put him on dialysis. It's slightly off key of what you should do is the nicest way of putting it. I wouldn't say the the normal terminology. And I said, "Well, he's either going to die. He's going to die if we do this, or he's going to live. So let's let's just go with it." And he put me on dialysis, and he saved my life again. And uh, I was that, that guy. is as you see in, in my journey. He's one of the one uh, well, of my saviors, to be fair. He was just always there. And I actually made a promise to him if. If I ever have him for anything else, I will never say no to whatever he tells me to do because he was the one that I convinced to let me leave the hospital when I'd had my stroke. (laughs) So (laughs) I couldn't couldn't argue anymore. And uh, so after getting out of there, it was like, whoa, really, really, what is next? You know, my mind was just blowing out of control. I was starting to drift back off into deep depression and uh, my wife, wow. You know, she just went. You're here. You shouldn't be. So let's start looking at life in a different different angle and uh, start looking at it in a positive way. What can you do now, since you shouldn't be here? What can you do? And that was that was that was the moment where it was like, okay, I've got to I've got, got to readjust and understand my illness. I've got to think about now you know the future or I've gone through this, shouldn't be here, so let's let's make the most of it. And she literally just supported uh, everything I did. I was very lucky. I I, uh, approached Kidney Care UK um, um, that is now and said, look, I've gone through this. I'm in a bad place. I I just want to take my family away, my wife and the stepson, because me, my daughter couldn't go at the time. And I just want to get away and re, you know readjust, and they 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 said yeah. And at this point, I'm uh, working towards getting the uh, Royal Derby Kidney Patient Association. That was my focus. I'm going to get a kidney patient association. I, I want to be there to support patients and help them going forward any way I can. So, started the process on that, and uh, it was it, it was incredible. You know um, the. the Mindset, understanding, and, and being able to digest everything and wanting to be be fit and healthy. And the bonus was that in the, this is where it gets really surreal because November, I think it was uh, October, November in uh, 2014, I went to the uh, National Kidney Federation um, conference at Blackpool. And the first person I met was a uh, lady called Joe Brown. Who was the transplant sport um, administrator and doing a doing a stand and talking to people about what transplant sport is. And until this point, I'd never heard of transplant sport. And she just blew my mind. Said, this is this is what you can do after you've had a transplant. So it's like, really? I couldn't I couldn't take it in. It's like my, my face was just smiling. It's like, right, okay. I can I, wow. I, I, there's there's a future that is the that is the best way of putting it. You know, it sounds selfish, but sport has always been my life. My dad was a, a secondary PE teacher for for years. Got a, a B.M. from the Queen for for sport, and I'm like, I, I can do it again. I can do sport again, safe and I just. You now, what 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 came next was surreal. I think is the best way to put it. She's told me about. Uh, a job that was coming up as a kids coordinator part-time for uh, transplant sport to work with kids all around the UK, do activities and events and try and support them and get them active. Thought, Before we come on to, the, to that, do you mind? Yeah.
3: I, I, could, I could sit and listen to you for <laughs> ages because the story is so inspiring. There's so much going on and it's been so a, a traumatic experience from the start of diagnosis. There's a few things I just wanted to clear up because yeah. there'll be people listening who won't. B, transplant people, kidney people might not have the sort of background knowledge that we've got. Uh, And I think it will be useful for their benefit to just clarify a few things. So I haven't been on dialysis myself and you've done both types. Could you explain the difference between peritoneal dialysis and hemodialysis?
0: Absolutely. Um, Peritoneal dialysis uh, can give you a little bit more freedom because you do it from home. You basically have a tube that is, um, two, 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 there's a little hole. I've got a little hole down here, and a tube's there, and it is basically taped to your to your skin uh, during the day, and you can self dialyze that hole with bags of fluid. Bags of fluid are dropped off massive, massive amounts of boxes. Hopefully, you've got a, a garage or a shed, and every day you hook up, you drain out the fluid that's in that bag. Uh, in your body into a, an empty bag and you put in a new bag of fluid, which is two liters. So that then is inside your peritoneum and then kind of filters all the rubbish that's in there, like a kidney would. And then four hours later, you do the process again, you drain out the fluid, you put another bag of fluid in because there's a chemical in there that draws out the toxins and you do that normally three times a day seven days a week and all you do is then put the empty uh, the bag that's come out down the toilet flush the toilet it goes but you have to be extremely clean hygienic and really um, understand the severity if you don't do this properly and it, it's it's time consuming but it allows you more freedom if you've got a job you can do it that way and you don't have to, there's an alternative. You can do it overnight, peritoneal dialysis on a, when you're asleep. But because I had young children that I had every other weekend, I had to be able to get out of bed. So for me, doing it during the day and being in control and having the ability to get up because uh, my eldest daughter uh, would come around and, and the, she'd look after the youngest one while I'm there. So it all it all is at different different personal uh, options so that was that was going okay I would say I wasn't in control of what I was doing because I was an idiot but that's that's my own stupid fault to be fair but then when I had to go on to hemodialysis because I couldn't put a needle in my arm I couldn't do home dialysis that was that was the, the biggest thing there was no way on this earth I was going to stick a needle in my own arm and I think of. a lot of people have uh, struggle with that it was but I see people doing I've got friends that have done it and it's just and it's in. But my arm was very, very um uh annoying. It wouldn't play ball quite a lot. So I had the um, best way to put it, that is a uh, fistula, just there. Yeah, we can see and, that's just yeah. And then if you look at the, the bump, just there. So a needle will go in there and there there we go that's better it. needle going there and there and then want to take it out and it'll go back into the arm that's as simple as it is that is hemodialysis for anyone wondering simon held up his arm there um his fistula is in
3: his lower arm there was a little bump what the bump where do the bumps come from
0: basically what it is, you at some point in your arm they tie together um, a vein and an artery, because the needles are too big to go into a vein. So your artery obviously takes one, and the vein is made bigger so that it can take the other. So obviously one goes in, one goes out, and it then allows it to to do the process properly. So you have to have artery-sized um, entry points in your your arms. And basically, what happens is the, it sounds harsh. They pick off the top layer of the skin to put the needle in, but f- my, <laughs> again, I'm, I'm a problem. My, my skin was so uh, regenerated very quickly, so they'd have to dig in to get out the skin more than they normally would with anybody else. And you could have uh, uh, a which is an injection that can numb the area, but again, that's a needle. So <laughs> it, wasn't, it kind of didn't, didn't help. So for me, I'd have an apple, Every time I went in, I had a massive pack up in the morning because that's the best time to eat it, apparently. That's what I was told. So I I took that in and used it. I'd have an apple in my mouth, let them dig out, put the needle in and eat the apple afterwards. <laughs> <I'm just kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> it's, had it, it's had its health bonuses. Um, and that I would do um, in hospital four time, uh, three times a week to start with. And I, I was lucky enough. I decided, I say lucky enough, I it, I decided to get a job being on on hemodialysis um at that point and it allowed me they they I dialyzed at night, so seven o'clock at night till eleven o'clock at night, um out of hours and and again, st- stupidly I thought money was more important at that point when I was on hemo and I was the regional manager for a company, and I travelled from anywhere from Cambridge to Chester, uh, Cheshire. Sorry, and um, the issue there was, I travelled there in the morning at five thirty. I would uh, do a day job. I would tra- stay overnight, travel back on the Tuesday straight to hospital at seven o'clock at night. dialyze, get home for uh, about twelve o'clock because my, I wouldn't stop bleeding because I was in pain and then the next morning i would then get up go to another county at 5 5 30 in the morning do my day job back to hospital on the thursday night back to work on the friday morning and then uh, dialyze on the saturday morning so i could try and sneak in a bit of football maybe if i could possibly and unfortunately that's what caused the stroke because the stress and the pressure it just you don't see it you don't feel it until the body goes yeah I had enough that's it no more and like i say it was the body tells you a lot of things if you want to know and if it if it gets to a point where you're not listening it's going <laughs> to shut you down and that that you know the stress and mental health side people forget and i have to you know you have to look after your mental health with anything you're doing and forget the kidneys, forget get everything else, it can affect your, your body without you even knowing it. And that's really one of the key things is just take a step back, have a look at what, what's happening, and try and see the signs. You know, if there's something not working, something's going wrong, or something um, is an issue, address it towards somebody.
3: That's something I've learned the last few years since I've been through it. Health, Health's number one. Everything else can... Work around that, but as long as you're healthy in terms of my life anyway, maybe maybe you as well, as long as you're healthy, life's good,
0: yeah, and I think a lot don't get me wrong, you have to have money to live, and that bottom line is that is the problem you know you have to you have to somehow try and balance that, and it's the hardest thing in the world, you know you love your family, you love everything about it. You, you have to make the, some decisions that are going to be life-changing, you know, and it, it can be life-changing the wrong way. But, you know, one of the biggest keys to this, again, is I didn't talk to anybody. Everything was bottled up inside because I didn't want anybody to know that there's obviously something going wrong here, and I'm stressing, and, I'm I, you know, work is work but you have to look at the work environment you're in and make a decision. And uh, it nearly cost me.
3: Did you seek any sort of help? Psychological help, that sort of thing. I'm not afraid to say <laughs> I, once I was told I needed a transplant, I saw a psychologist sort of try and get my head around it a bit better and understand it, understand my own head and dealing with the news I've been given more. Because I was, uh, when I was,
0: Nineteen when I was told I needed the transplant. Wow, that's that's hard. That's got to be that's got to be hard because you you've got so much life ahead. You've got so much you want to do, and that, that that complete mix mash of you can't separate the two at that point. I'm sure again, I'm not speaking for you, but it, I can see that it's all in a quandary. Whereas you then have to speak to it and divide it and look at your your, your steps and your goal plan. And make sure they 're achievable that that are suitable to you in your lifestyle choices, but don't impact massively that you are restricted because that's that's unfair,
3: yeah, the biggest thing I took from it, which some people might be able to take from this what the bit of advice that stuck with me was um, is it going to affect you is it going to affect you now? Can you do anything about it now? If not, don't think about it yet. If you can't alter something, if you can't do it now, then think about what is happening at the moment rather than too far in the future.
0: That, that, is, that is very well put. Um, the the prob- Again, aside, the problem I had was I got family that I, I had in my head to support and I had to make sure that everything was right but in hindsight, looking at where things are now, I didn't have to do what I did, but I wanted more. Yeah, and that's you know it's a greedy side because I want more instead of just reflecting on what I've got and understanding it better and, and realizing that do they want me to do more for them. Or is that just my mindset again as the male and I'm I'm that chauvinist git and, and I want to do it because I should. But no, in hindsight, they want me to be healthy and fit, but I have to talk to them and I have to talk to my family about it. And a lot of uh, patients that I talk to and uh, when I've been in wards and gone in and talked is, have you talked to your family? You know? No. And the reason is that simple. I don't want to be their burden, and I don't want them to suffer what I'm going through because it is hard. Right? What do you? And the question I've got is: What do you think they think you are thinking? Well, exactly. You know, I don't. I I don't know what they're thinking. Well, do they not feel lost because they can't help you because they don't know where you are and what you are thinking? And it was like it was a reality check of best if you can you know have a time where you can ask do you want to know how i'm feeling because until you do you can't you you can't let people think they understand because they can't understand unless they're they're, they're within it and allowed to be within it and they love you and that's the key to it the people are with you because they love you and they want to support you, but they can kind only of half support you because they don't know where they stand and where they need to be to make a difference to to help yours and their life develop and go forward in a better way. And that I think that for me was how I I learned a lot um, from my own actions and 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 not asking for help, not seeking help. Now I did I, sp- I did talk to my doctor about. Uh, speaking to a psychologist unfortunately it wasn't the best thing that happened because and no disrespect to anybody's age i went in the person was there they must have just qualified in the greatest respect because they were extremely young and i just said what do you know about organ donation kidney failure and your life being in a mess and they just went um and that was it i was out (laughs) didn't really go to plan but that was again I wasn't in the right frame of mind I wasn't prepared to want to listen I needed to listen but it was that half-heartedness you know I know I should I know it's going to make a difference but it still wasn't the right time and it only became the right time when I'd gone through hell and the wife understood it and the wife it was she, she told me about what I'd been through Nearly seven months after I was out of hospital, and that that was mind blowing. It was it was a wake up proper proper wake up call uh, to to be told that this is what you've gone through. And You didn't know about it at the time because I think that could have caused you even more of an issue, and you'd be back in there. So the fact that she knew so much and had, had, had supported me by not telling me. I opened up and everything and said everything as it was and we have an amazing relationship because if there's anything happening in our, in our lives, we will talk about it. And that is it. That's the bottom line. There's 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 nothing in my head that I'll hold back because it's not fair. She, there's the support that I've got from the family and it, it is hard to talk about it because you don't want that the, the family, the support that you've got. To to know that you are weak,
3: exactly. But, yeah, talking is it's, so
0: important. It is. It's it's life. You know, I it, I can talk to loads of people. I could talk to anybody, but at the time, I couldn't talk to my wife and my family because then it would be a burden. You know, mm-hmm. and it was. It it's hard. You know, it, it it's and I said this is why I'm I'm on Facebook. I'm I'm always on there. I talk to people, I talk to people in different groups I work with and I like to listen and understand what what it is that they're struggling with. And I will give experience, never advice, you know, doctors and nurses give advice. That's, that's, that's their role. Mine, I, I can give experience because I've been through it and if it helps people understand more about what, what has happened to me. And if it can help them adjust and develop and, and, and do something with it, brilliant. But there's too many people at the moment online that like to give so much advice because they think they're doctors and nurses instead of just listening. Doctors from the University of Facebook. Oh, don't. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, that was, that, was, that was when my mind, mindset changed. It literally was. Um, I, I realized that I had to start thinking about everybody um, and not just be selfish, selfish Simon. And uh, that, that's when we, uh, I met Joe Brown at, at Transplant Sport. And this, this is where this gets weird because she, she said about this job.
1: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.
2: Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive in June gives you
0: um I, I said okay i'll, I'll apply I applied on the 29th of uh november 2014 and i even put on the letter i guarantee i'll have a kidney in, in two months i'll be fit to work by march don't rule me out even though i was dialyzing four times a week six hours a time yeah that's that yeah that bit of an issue but uh yeah at that point i didn't get the opportunity and, uh, okay, I'm not done with this. I'm going to, this is the plan. I'm going to, I'm going to work on it. I am definitely going to focus on getting that, that role. Cause it, it matters, you know, that's, that's the, it matters. And, uh, January the polls up, um, January the 21st, I had to get in touch. Well, go across the road to my mother-in-law. She'd booked a holiday to Menorca five months time. And there's no dialysis in Menorca. So I sold her a kipper and told her I'd have her kidneys uh, before we went, and it will all be fine, no problem, don't worry about it. And the same night, 6:30, dad turned up and says, I'm going to donate you a kidney. She's brilliant, absolutely out of the blue. He had basically he'd waited, he'd been to India um, the year before, and he wanted to make sure it was all clear and it he he was all good to go. So I phoned the transplant unit up at Nottingham and left an answer message saying, guys, you got to help me out. Mother-in-law's going to kill me if I don't get a kidney soon. I'm a dead man. But in all seriousness, give us a call tomorrow. We'll have a chat. Next day, they phoned me up, 10 o'clock. I'm on dialysis at Derby. We've got a kidney for you, Simon. My I found it. so fascinating when I read it in your story. It, it's like, you, you're taking the Michael, you know, this, you, you, I phoned up because I want to start the process. No, we've heard the answer phone message. There's a kidney, there's two kidneys available. And there's two people for the for those kiddies. That's it. There's you and one other guy. Um, and I just I literally for the first time in my life I was speechless for a second, only for a second, don't take it too far. And um I made a promise. I'm gonna I'm gonna go to the British Transplant Games in six months and six six days. I'm gonna get Get to the World Transplant Games in Argentina the following month, and I am going to meet my donor family and give them my first ever gold medal that I'm going to get in Argentina.
3: So, with, and, with the uh, the transplant, did you just have a feeling that was that was the time it was going to happen?
0: It was my third call. Wow! It was my third call, uh, and the fact that I made I'd requested one the day before, <laughs> um, it was. It, for me, it was fate. You know, I was smiling in my face. The wife just went, "Yeah, this, this is it. This is, this is, this is how. It, this is it's your, You're ready for it now." The previous calls I'd had, and I know I backtrack. The previous calls I had, I was unfit. I was unhealthy. I wasn't mentally prepared, and that is so vital to having a transplant. If I'd have had it back then, I don't really think that it it would have been fair because I don't think it would have lasted because. I was um, 17 and I stone. I'd still been given the opportunity to go and, and be checked for it. And it just would not have been fair because unless you were prepared for a transplant and you understand how vital you are to that transplant in making it last as long as you can, I don't think you understand somebody else could have been. You know, And that, that for me was uh, very valuable uh, at that point because i knew this is it i'm fit i'm ready i understand exactly what i need to do um the day i had my stroke in um 2013 i'd not drank alcohol since that day so i was in the right place to to do it and i wanted it and again you still get a question do you want the kidney you always get the question and it was like this is it and uh well, put me up you know, we drove over to uh, nottingham was in there and I was told, that if one kidney isn't good, he's get the other person's getting it. And I said, don't worry, it's going to be fine. It doesn't, it's going in. And then they were all looking at me going, how, how can you be so sure? Fate's an amazing thing, you know, and I was, I was just, you know, this, this, this is it. And, uh, even when the, uh, <laughs> the anaesthetist came in, this is so funny. Anaesthetist comes in and says, uh, we're going we're gonna to have to uh, drop your warfarin because someone warfarin tablets from the heart. said, yeah, crack on. says, yeah, but you don't realise if, if we don't go through with this transplant, you do realise that you're going to be in hospital for at least five to six days the wife looked at me and we just started laughing and he couldn't understand why. He says, yeah, just, just whack it. Crack on mate, Crack on It's It's not a problem. It's, get, it's going in. Yeah, but you don't know it is. And she laughed and she turns to him and says, do you realize he's, he's been in the hospital for seven months? Well, uh, 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 and he just went, it just, gone. <laughs> it's like, you know what? Yeah. I love hospitals know, I haven't got an issue with hospitals. And uh, so I was in there and it went, it, I had the transplant on the twenty second, and it went okay. Day two, I was in absolute agony. Um, the the lead came in, uh, um, Kathy, uh, I think, was, uh, the consultant, and came to and what's up, Simon? Oh, God, I'm in pain. It felt like. It was the worst pain I ever had. I just kept asking people to knock me out. Just knock me out. The pain, just morphine wasn't touching me. It just wasn't happening. And uh, she said, oh, I've just done some transplants today. It's 12 o'clock midnight. What are you doing to me? So brushed me upstairs. And next morning I woke up and, to be told they removed a fist uh, blood uh, that was le- pressing on my kidney that was leaking. And all good now, all gone. And then two days later, I uh, was doing four and a half miles around Nottingham City Hospital with my drip stand, walking and talking because I still had slight insomnia, and I was so happy. So I walked all everywhere I could do in my 90. I always had my shorts on, though. it wasn't going to show anything. And uh, I was just on a mission. You know, my goal was the British Transplant Games. It's that unbelievable. It. The walking. That that, uh, that, nothing else I can do. Got my drip stand, will travel, and it just it was. For me, it was so important that I had to just really focus now going forward and making sure that everything was ready. I was I was in the right frame of mind. I had to look after McKinney. I had to get fit. I had to get healthy. Make sure that kidney was it, it was on track. Uh, unfortunately, McKinney decided it wasn't going to wake up to start with, and it, it took it took. I looked at my stats the other day. and It took me nearly ten days for anything to kick in, for me uh, creatinine to go anywhere, and. I was thinking, but, but the bonus was, I could start to uh, um, go to the loo again, which was great because I'd not peed for about two years, and wow. it was it was in, it was insane. It was uh, I've got to drop. I've got to drop. <laughs> <laughs> just, people just don't get it. I know it's great if you go out and you don't need to go to the loo. However, once you start, it's like. Drop And you have to measure it. Every time you go to the loo, you get one of the, yeah. con- the, the cardboard containers and you're going, well, that was pointless. What a waste. <laughs> <laughs> I had a similar story to that. I
3: I could go to the toilet before I tried to transplant, but I, my bladder got blocked while I was in hospital. And I had the, the dreaded three-way catheter. <laughs> <laughs> one of the worst moments <sighs> of my life. Um, but I can remember when that eventually came out, I I must have had a catheter in for about 10 days. And then that came out and it go to the toilet itself in the bottle. Went for the first time, came back, it's on the table, this big sort of jerry can, plastic jerry can lid on. The nurse came in to have a look, see how I was. and Again, as you say, people might not get this, but I just went,
0: I did it, I did it, I did it myself. (laughs) It's like a celebration that no one will understand. It's like you've won the World Cup. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Beat. (laughs) Beat. Lift it up in the air above your head. Yeah. Uh, This is my trophy. Yeah. I'm taking it home with me. Okay. (laughs) Settle down, lad. Settle down. (laughs) It was. It's crazy to just have that that feeling of (laughs) being able to go. Strange conversation, but it, it really does matter. Um, I mean, people don't realize that you, you sometimes people do lose the uh, the ability to pass water, and it can happen because the body just decides, yeah, that's shutting down. Uh, you don't need to use that. To be fair, but you, you the body isn't storing it up inside; it's just it's just working its way out through the system of, of you know the dialysis, and, and you know you, you you can't explain it to people. You don't need to be. No, I'm good. I'm good. I'm alright. Sure, you've drank a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, that was back in the day. We'll, we'll move on from there. Um, but I was lucky. I mean, uh, the, the kidney eventually started to kick in, but my, my biggest issue was is my warfarin levels. And guess who happened to be my, uh, my registrar? It was Adam again, and he says, "You can't leave until your, your uh, re- um, numbers are up to 2.0." He says, well, what is it now? Not 0.1." I said, are you kidding me? I said, no, it's not 0.1. So you're going nowhere. Sit down and smile. Was that Warfarin levels? Yeah. So it was, okay. So ticking along every day, come in. What's my level? It's gone up by 0.1. And it literally went up by 0.1 every day. So I was in there for another 20 days. And it was like, well, what's the point? I can go home. I'm surely, it's McKin- starting to work now. I said, no, nope. not until you're two. 1.9, let me out. Nope, you made a promise, you're staying in. <sighs> yeah, I did, yeah. Yeah, okay. But the bonus was, while I was in there, the Nottingham tree, Nottingham transplant team, which I'm pointing to over there, my, uh, my jacket, we had, uh, I, there was their team meeting to go to the British Transplant Games in Newcastle coming up in the in the uh, July, August of that year. So I pulls in with my uh, drip stand, sits down then my nightie and goes, Hi, I'm Simon. I'm going to the games this year. What kind of <laughs> was the reaction? Um, how long you had your kidney? I says, I had my kidney on January the 22nd, which is over six months to the games. Don't you worry about that. I'll be fit. I'll be fit. What sports are you going to do? So they gave me the timetable. I went, hmm, okay. I'll probably do... Because you're only allowed to do certain ones on certain days. Mm-hmm. So I did. I saw the archery, thought I'll have a go at that. Temping bowling, I'll have a go at that. Lawn bowls, yeah, I'll give that a go. I did that when I was twelve. Um, I also got table tennis. Oh, I'll give that a go. And um, I'm going to see if I can do the. Uh, I did. I'll do the cricket ball throw because I play cricket. Can't, can't be that hard. And uh, hopefully, my goal was to do the four by hundred meter relay. That was that was my ultimate goal if I was fit enough. Uh, again, not done athletics, but. I thought, yeah, it's bit of running, great. And uh, so I, I actually picked the sports that were steady and not intense. That was that was that was my, my goal. And uh, um, I wasn't given the all clear to do sports until April the first, which was frustrating. Even though I was trying to sneak some temping bowling in before that, um, went to the bowling alley in the February and said this is my goal, this is my plan, saw so the manager, Andy, and uh, he says, okay, well, I'm going to teach you how to bowl straight. I said, brilliant, that's all I want to know, T- tell me what to do and I'll do it. I started bowling and it kicked off there, it says, ideally, you need to get your own ball. I said, just have a look on the rack, see if there's any balls on, on the shelves that are your weight and you can pick it up okay. I said, oh, this one looks all right. He says, yes, people leave their own bowling balls and blame the bowling balls for them not bowling very well. I went, Okay, that's different. So I picked this bowling ball up, put my fingers in, felt good, and said, I'll use this one. And then I rolled it round and engraved in the bowling ball was Simon. Wow. It's just, again, fate again. It's just weird. And I just thought, yeah, I'll have this one then. <laughs> it's got my name <laughs> on it. So I donated uh, 20 quid to uh, his, his charity he works with, and uh, that's it. I had a bowling ball. So that, that all carried on. And I went to Lawn Bowls and had a go at that. I went to the local archery club in Bulpa. They helped me there and had, had a few goes with that. Table tennis. Um, well, table tennis. Table tennis, just had it. Uh, but I went to um, the first uh, transplant sport event of uh, racket sports that was in Witness uh, and competed in that for the first time uh, with a, an off-the-shelf bat. And ended up getting runners up, uh, two runners up medals uh, to Wayne Lang of all people. But I got my revenge on Wayne. Um, but yeah, it was it was that was my first introduction to transman sport. It was brilliant, and um, was all ready to go for um, the British Games. But in the April, um, April was a, a, it was a weird month because on the first, obviously, I got the nod to do sports. On the thirteenth, my mum passed away, so it was even more poignant I was going to do what I did, um, for for her as much as as anything else. And, um, she, she'd been very ill and she passed away due to many illnesses and she'd seen me get my kidney. And that was, that was the thing. She could relax. And that's, that's what happened. She, she passed away. Um, and my birthday was on the 16th. So yeah, 20, uh, 2015 was a very, very strange year. So
3: was, uh, your mum and sport the main motivation to recover and then get to the transplant games that year
0: that and uh, my my donor family that of that course, was yeah. that was that was that was my forefront i'm on a, i've I've set my goals i'm gonna do it and got to the british transplant games and i'd I'd actually spoken to transplant sport and uh Lynn. At uh, the games, I said, "Look, who's doing temping bowling at the World Games? Is the temping bowling at the World Games? Yes, but we don't we don't normally have a team." He says, "Right, I'll, I'll I'll captain the team. I'll, I'll happily do that. I'll I'll be involved. Just it, I've i the been here for six months because I'll be at the British Games. Just if it's an option and I can go, I'll I'll go." He says, "Yeah, but it, it, it's going to cost a lot of money." And I said, I, I, "Okay." Um, so I approached my stepdad and uh, said, "Look, the games is on." And he said, "Don't worry, that's fine." And uh, he he was he uh, put the money up, and uh, we'll come on to that later on. But uh, yeah, the British games went, got up to Newcastle. <sighs> what an experience! So many amazing people there, donor families there, which are absolutely awesome. And they're they're the guests. They're they're the special guests. Special people is is the donor families. Just to to thank them and and hear their hear their incredible journeys and and, and the fact that they're happy to talk about what what they've what they've been through. You know that that just is so inspiring. And uh, it that gives you so much of a kick and a boost to realize that you know you have something so special. And that that. That just made the games it's so it's so much better, and oh, it was amazing.
3: Leading on from that, what you went to the you went to the World Transplant Games, didn't you? A month was it a month later? Yeah. What was the atmosphere like there?
0: It was strange because we were in Argentina, uh, right in the south of Argentina. Uh, but the uh, to speak to all the other people in, that have been through it. I mean, I, obviously the British games, great team and. So many people have got so many journeys, but to be able to get there and just represent your country, you're in awe. I think it's the best way. You're in awe of everything, everybody. That I never, I, I, I never knew anything about this thing in, uh, a year ago. Yeah, I, I can be at this, and I can, I, I can, even if, if I don't get a medal, I'm here, and I can just be a part of something that's world wide. And speaking to, I made so many friends Thailand, Australia, America, Canada, Germany, Poland, you know, there's so many people, and you talk and you you listen to their experiences, and it's very humbling, you know, of what what they've been through and and how they've dealt with it and come out of it the other way, other side. And I was lucky. I mean, I went and I did um, put my name down for a sport called Patonk. No, sorry. I wanted to put my name out of the and there, there was no partners because obviously I was coming in late, so I was filling the gaps. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I was down for the temping bowling singles, 10 uh bowling uh, men's pairs. Uh, I even had my name down for the 100 metres. Um, did the cricket ball throw. But I also then uh, made up a, a team with Sam, uh, Sam Clark for Techo,
3: I was going to ask about that.
0: Yeah, Techo. It's it's basically like a tank, but you have discs. So you, you you throw you have a smaller disc that is the is the jack basically, and you have bigger discs, and you have to get as close as you can. Same gravel, same thing, and it was it was crazy because we 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 turned up. There. I mean, I was just I was just crazy. It just I loved it. I was the atmosphere. So we went down there. And it was in tin sheds, basically, and there's gravel. And there's this guy, this Argentinian guy, absolute perfect example, big Tash. Hi, I will tell you the rules. So I will tell you once. So I will not tell you again. If you have any questions, do not ask me. So, okay, all right. this is uh, this is a bit strict. He says, went through all the rules, how to play it. And uh, then he came up to me and Sam, because I had G-beat up on it. He comes up and he went, opened his, opened his his jacket up and he had an England top on underneath. <laughs> it's awesome. It's like, yeah. He says, if you want to know any more, come and ask me. I said, okay, no problem. And all they were doing all day, all we are doing is eating steak all day. It was great. You know, absolutely brilliant. These ladies were in the back, couldn't understand a word of English, cooking steak. We were eating, just having some great fun. And uh, somehow we won the pairs competition. Uh, never played it before, but... You throw in Summit at Summit and you get as close as you can. That's that's, that's the way it is.
3: (laughs) Had you heard of it before you went there? No. (laughs) (laughs) Never heard of it. Never played it. You got the big, scary Argentinian man on side.
0: It was so fun. It was so fun. And we just laughed all day. It was just brilliant. And uh, the the next day we had, uh, so that was my first gold medal. So I was so excited I got my first gold medal. I could give that to my organ donor family as soon as I could. That was my plan. And then the next day was so relaxed and so funny. But the tempin bowling alleys in Argentina are what are the old school handball alleys? They don't do tempin; They do the hand you know, the, the small ball at the seaside, the, the pins on no strings. No holes. No holes. That's 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 what the lanes are that. for. Yeah. So they they'd actually bought in tempins and balls to use on these old really no oil just drives bone lanes and i I was just i was i'd not trained for this so i was like what the i don't know what to do you know if you if you if you don't bowl it straight it's off in the gutter and it was funny because i I have to laugh because the americans going what are we playing on this is crazy this isn't temping and i was just like okay and uh i was paired with sam again uh, because he was uh he'd come in late so he didn't have a partner and we had, we had a couple of sessions before, went down out of practice and got to know the, uh, the, the owner of the, the bowling alleys. And he was brilliant. And we just had fun. And uh, it ended up because we were in how the teams were. We were I was with Sam, uh, a friend of mine, Nick, was with Daniel. And oh, I'm going to shout that there's two other lads that were with us as well. That were there, and we we just had fun. But we ended up in the same age group because I bowl, you bowl down to the age that the younger person is in, <laughs> and we ended up getting gold, silver, and bronze. Oh wow, well done! And uh, some of the other like Nick Miller got another gold in the singles as well, and Paul Paul uh, Reynolds was there, and it was, oh, it was brilliant. You know, we just had so much fun all the time, and that's what it was all about, and. Uh, I ran the 100 meters qualified uh qualified for the final but unfortunately at the end of the race the uh, running I couldn't move Not from doing I, too much before I, uh, no i just didn't know how to breathe running doing the, doing the 100 meters i've ah, never done right. 100 meters before so i didn't breathe properly i held my breath <laughs> <laughs> i've seen your personal best it's it's still a good time yeah but then we, we have a friend i um, come across him steve jervis And Steve is just a machine and he's, he's under 11. He's like 10 something. And he's, he's in my age, he's 40s. So he's, I'm, I have to get, he's just, he's slightly younger than me. So if I get to 50, I know I can run in the British games, and knees not in the race, so I might try and do the hundred meters again just once <laughs> if <laughs> my knees will cope. That's it. But I've had a I've had a cruciate replacement in my knees, so it's 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 not the best. So it's just grit it and go. But uh, it's just the whole the whole of it was amazing, absolutely amazing.
3: So have you competed in the same events ever since, or have you added more on for future I've, games since then?
0: Well, I've swapped about. So at the Europeans, I did. Darts and darts darts of the Europeans. Um, I think I've got it down yeah. Yeah, you probably sit not know better.
3: Darts, table tennis, yeah, temping bowling. Floorball.
0: What's that one? Floorball, well, it was a social event. Um, if anybody wasn't doing an event at that point, we got we got drafted. Uh floorball is see, <laughs> it's the best way to describe it, you know when you're primary school and you have your plastic stick, yeah, pocket stick. That's floorball. Apparently, at that point, I was taking the Michael out of it, thinking, yeah, this is what I played at primary school. But uh, we played against Sweden and Finland, I think it was there. And they took it so seriously. And I nearly smashed somebody at one point. I was getting so frustrated because they they were told us the rules, and then the rules weren't being adhered to. And I'm a bit of a stickler when it comes to rules being in play. And, uh, yeah, I got a little bit carried away at times and was... Told to calm down, but it was only a friendly. Yes, only friendly. I know, I know. Yeah, but it was again a different sport, something to try, something, some fun. And I was lucky enough to get win the European gold um, in the singles. There was that was that was an experience because the lanes were brilliant. The people there were so great, and again, made more friends with the Greeks, Cypriots, especially. They're just brilliant.
3: And that's what it's all about, as you said. So we'll go something else that was in your story, you competed at the European Transplant Games as well, and that made three events within 18 months of your transplant.
0: Yeah. Would you say three, that... Three champ- yeah, three championships.
3: Would you say that, as a collective, is one of your proudest achievements as a transplant athlete?
0: Uh, oh, it, it, it is, and uh, I know it sounds deaf, but you can see this, but the people can't... I think I can. Is that all your medals? It's gone off the screen? Yeah. That, that's my three goals. that's my... Two golds at each competition. Awesome. That's a photo to keep for so, a long time. That well, that, that that was you know, I was I was very lucky. You know, I, it was it, it was so amazing to be a part of it. And my goal was to compete at those events. And the fact that um, I got two golds at, at each of those was just it was mind blowing. Especially uh, just to To achieve the first and being at the British was was incredible, but obviously I didn't get any golds at the, my first games in Newcastle. That was kind of just an introduction. It was the following year that really just took off and I, I understood more about the whole about the, the games and getting the medals was, like I say, it's icing on the cake. Is that is the nicest way? But watching the games and seeing children. Um, who have walking supports, go and do the long jump and jump one centimetre and get the biggest cheer from, from everybody, the crowd that's there. That was emotional. You know, forget forget the medals, Psh, irrelevant. Just to see the, the face of a child do so, so much and achieve so much from one thing, it was just like, it was special uh, that. special moment. That, that, that's what it's about. It is. You just you just can't forget that that moment. You know, it, to get a medal, yeah, love it to bits. To get my first medal and know what I'm going to do next. You know, that that for me was that was my personal goal, and it was just to to then get back from Argentina and go right. I'm going to write what I've been able to achieve, and I'm going to send it to my donor family. That, that was very special that was that was letting out all the emotion of what, what I'd been able to do and thinking well is, is this donor family going to reply to me I have to give them every bit of emotion and dedication that I, I I can to thank them for what they've given me
3: I've read in your story did you give them your first gold medal
0: I did. I was very lucky. We 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 did a 100 mile walk for charity uh, locally. Uh, we went from uh, Belper and Derbyshire to Chesterfield, to North Knotts, South Knotts, um, over to uh, Ilson, back to Derby and back to Belper. And I carried a bowling ball all the way around on my back because I was an idiot. And we went bowling at all the venues. We went to all the hospitals in the same, same area and we, we went bowling to all the venues as well. And at the end of it, we finished on the, finished on the. We started on the Sunday, finished on the Sunday, and I'd arranged. I sent the letter. She'd uh, she, um, Carol had replied, and I, I contacted her and says, "Would you, would it be okay to meet you and thank you personally?" And on the Sunday that we finished the walk, because the the irony of it was Carol lives ten miles away from me.
3: That again, that's another sort of. Special moment it's, and that sort of fate that you talked about earlier.
0: It is, and she, uh, it gets more interesting. But uh, she agreed, I says, look, BBC Television have asked if they can come and um, film this. And she was, let me check, because the daughter was coming as well. Her daughter, Vicky, was going to come along. She says, check with Vicky. She said, look, if you get there on the day and it's not right, that's fine, just say, we'll, we'll, we'll just meet each other. So we met each other, and I love the BBC. They they they're, they're very keen. I think is the nicest word. Can we can we can we? He says, no, just just relax, chill out. You know, we're we're gonna gonna meet, and then Vicky' Dodd says, yeah, it's fine, it's fine. So they, they filmed us meeting. Uh, but yeah, I'm they, they missing I'm missing one gold medal and one bronze. Somebody lost the bronze, so I gave him one of mine years ago. And but the the gold medal is. I've got a copy, obviously. I've got the one from the Temping Bowling. So that's the important one. But we, we met and I found out that John uh, himself, he was he worked at DHL. And I thought, I like, wow, I worked at DHL at uh, East Midlands as well when I was 21. And so I went, really? He says, yeah, he was the ramp coordinator that sorted out the flight crews and got them uh, on the right planes, making sure the flight plans are right. I did that exact job at 21. It just fits it was, it was so surreal. Well. You now it's just it just. I think that things happen for a reason, and I, I do I, even more so now. Uh, things happen for a reason, and I'm I'm very lucky, and I understand that. So this is why um, I work so much. And I started. I got a job with uh, Premier Sport, who do kids uh, kids coordinating in schools, primary schools, and from the ages of four or five up to the age of 11. And they they teach the children in uh, breakfast clubs, lunch clubs, have school clubs, and do lessons with the kids. And I thought, wow, this is my opportunity to get back to what I used to do and really help and support and develop and make sure that they get the passion. I mean, no disrespect to the teachers. Teachers are great. Don't pee as much as they should. So it was a great opportunity. we go in and teach the kids how, how to develop and doing different sports and take the kids in. And that was, that was, that was brilliant. That gave me, gave me the passion again to do, be ready for if the opportunity came to work with Transplant Sport Kids. And, uh, eventually, um, my predecessor, Malcolm, uh, was absolutely brilliant guy. He set up the kids coordinator role, did so much to make it, make it so smooth and run so well. And, um, he decided he was going to work with this other charity, and the job vacancy came up for me to take take on the role. and I applied. I was fortunate enough to get it, and I started the as a kids coordinator in twenty nineteen April twenty nineteen, and that wow, you know, where do we begin?
3: <laughs> what does that involve? That role?
0: Um, I basically. Um, set up events throughout the year to, for kids to go to. We're uh, doing ski slopes, uh, Kendall, working with groups like the uh, Kendall Donor um, Town Charity. Um, so we do uh, ski slopes on a Saturday. Sports and events on a Sunday, and we go around all. Work the, the, with Nottingham Wildcats um, uh, Arena with the women's team doing sports down there. Been down to the uh, Warwick University and done a session there, and, and including the rock climbing wall. Uh, wherever we go, you know, I I go to areas so that people don't have to travel. That that's the main aim. But I'm very very fortunate. I'm I'm funded by Children in Need. So all the work that they do is just so, so important because we get to then deliver it out for the transplant kids and give them the opportunity to take part, maybe sometimes for the first time in, in activities. Uh sometimes we get to but we also have families that have had a transplant, so the adults that have had a transplant, their kids can come too. And that's what people miss, you know. It's not just the transplant kids that can come it's the kids of the families because they've been through so much, you know, they, they've been through, you know, that, that journey with the family. And we want to make sure that all families get that opportunity for the kids to be active, be involved and be part of the transplant family. Cause that's the bottom line. It's a transplant family. You know, once you're in transplant sport, you're in.
3: Yeah. Live it. The kids will live it as well. The, with the yeah. If the parents have had transplants, they're still indirectly living that life and the Absolutely. restrictions and
0: uh,
3: effects that come with it.
0: It is, and this is why. I mean, we do. We last year we did uh, Anglesey, so we go rock climbing, doing a, a weekend away uh, in the sea, making fire, uh, uh, rafting, and how to make fires and stuff. Uh, it's brilliant. You know, the kids get get the opportunity to have fun, socialise, meet other transplant families. And be normal.
3: Exactly. That's that's the that's the main thing. So we've talked about your sports at the Transmant Games. We'll come on to the ones that you've done outside of that. We'll go with football. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I've read from your story, you've you played a lot. You've done some, some big events or to raise awareness for organ donation. A game I've heard about before, which you mentioned again, you played against Hollyoaks.
0: Where was that?
1: Yeah.
0: We played up at um I wanna say oh, what's on the picture? Is it Wigan or Widness? Can you see the picture? I've not got it with me at the moment, no. It's 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 uh, we, I'll say Widness. We'll go with it. We played up there and uh the 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 lads were brilliant, absolutely great fun. We 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 just they were they were brilliant absolutely brilliant great team and they played together a lot and we just had so much fun and got the chance to meet them after afterwards and we had we went and had drinks with them and they were just normal lads you know there was no the big i am they were just normal lads and it was just great to just have that uh normality with uh, people that were there to help us raise the awareness raise the profile and do so much for for the the passion that we had with organ donation um it's likewise with newport i mean newport we did um previous uh, previous to that and went down there you've got mickey flynn was down there he was playing um we've got such a hot a passion for, for newport now we really have i mean that that was just they had um uh, thinking of johnson who was the sprinter again it's gone um christian malcolm oh, yeah. that you the sprinter yeah well, he was, he was playing up front and at that point I was in goal and he, I came out of the box because I had to get the ball and had a reality check just as I was about to slide in and take him and the ball and stood up and he hit me and I hit him and I, I was bracing myself for the hit and he bounced off and I apologised as soon as he got up because it was my fault. But I was thinking... I was my eyes were just on the ball. I was just like a normal football match, and instead, but I I had a bit of a sorry. Didn't mean to do that. But uh, again, Newport, the guys in Wales uh, were so. We we had an event afterwards, and they were they were involved all the way through. They were just so dedicated, and that that was one of the I think the starters for ten with we we had the British games at Newport last. uh, last year and again we're down at the the Newport facility the the football stadium and everybody the the people there were so embracing I think is the the best way to put it and it makes a difference you know we want to we want to promote what transplant sports are about we want to promote organ donation and they were there they were there to give everything they could
3: so we're going to another sport that you do cricket this is how we actually came into contact with each other how did you first get involved with England and Wales Transplant Cricket Team?
0: Well, I'm, only, I'm involved from afar because I actually went down to Edgebaston, for one of the Nets a few years ago and I loved it. I couldn't, it was it was amazing. Every part about it was just meeting up with the lads, meeting new faces as well. And I've, I've been in touch but not had the opportunity to actually play in the team yet. Um It's just clash. I do events at the weekend with the kids, so it's that it's that clash of when the games are are played. If I can get there, I will put my name forward. But I just unfortunately just haven't had the opportunity to go. I'm here. I'll play. Pick me. Pick me. Uh, But actually, just being able to get on a pitch, I'd love to do that. I really would. At some point, I would love to be uh, part of that squad and be part of that team. But. the closest i've been is a charity matches that i do locally with um pip and the guys and i've been lucky up to play with belp and meadow's lot and they they're, they're brilliant you know lo- local team and they they're so supporting when it comes to organ donation uh we do we we've worked with them with the walk for life and they they really support and especially one of the lads Pip, he works at uh, um, sunny deval glowworm and they they raise the awareness for organ donation all the time, and they get involved, and it's brilliant. It just everything blossoms, you know. It, people want to be involved because it's such a good cause, and raise the awareness the way they can, and and show the opportunities they can from being just you know being being on the walks, being involved in the cricket, being involved in the football. We do charity games and stuff like that as well.
3: And that's the main thing: raising awareness for organ donation through in our case whichever sport you love you can take that to different places around the country your local area not your local area the games is a big celebration of organ donation as a whole it just seems such a i mean i've only been involved only in my transplant july last year it's july 2019
0: and it's just such a a great world to be involved in There's so many groups it's a family it's a family that's the thing it is anybody that's part of transplant sport is within a worldwide family. Um, we have uh, a couple of thousand of people on the transplant sport group, but that is just small numbers compared to how many people involved in the bigger picture with organ donation and, and doing their own thing that aren't necessarily into sport, but understand why and how they can get involved And some volunteers, some just, just their support from afar and just really encourage, everybody to embrace what it is.
3: Absolutely. We'll come on to your last sport. I appreciate it's been a long one, but I could listen to you for ages. So many stories in there. Uh, Volleyball, I was going to ask you about that. You said earlier you were a goalkeeper in football and I asked Steve (laughs) the same question when he was on the podcast. Do you think the goalkeeping helped with volleyball?
0: Um, The best way to answer this is the craziness of being a goalkeeper helps for volleyball.
3: Throwing yourself about
0: Yep, that's, that's it. I have no fear and no damage limitation. Um, I've done more damage at volleyball than I have done in any other sport since I've taken it up. More so ankles, because I've, I've had weak ankles as a kid, but my arms and elbows. And the thing is, my fistula is on my left arm, my left forearm, just above my wrist, which people go, ah, that's your fistula. Yeah, it is. It's been hammered and abused, and it's still it's still ticking, still working, and it'll still be ready for me if I need to use it in the future, which I expect I will. And volleyball is such a, a great sport. anybody can get involved. I mean, I, I started off at my local volleyball club in belper the Hammers, and loved it. Thought, oh wow, this is it. They helped me getting get better for the for the GBT for my Nottingham team and GB team. And then I went to. Nottingham uh, volleyball club and improved a bit more got got a bit more uh, developed and it was just spiral from there and I, I, I I love volleyball you know it's different it's a team sport pretty much every sport I do involves a team or a partner or pairs because I think it's it's better to develop and introduce than it is you know win a gold medal on your own yeah great. But if you're doing it with a partner or somebody else, it's, it's even more special. Um, it's like the, um, the World Games. Uh, at the World Games this year, uh, last year, I competed in the uh, volleyball. We got a bronze. It's brilliant. I competed in the football. We happened to get a gold, which is awesome. Um, the tenpin bowling. I missed the singles because we were playing football, because it was on the day before but was able to play in the uh, men's pairs and the mixed pairs. And we were looking enough. Brett. Uh, Brett, my partner in the mel was brilliant. He's, he's the best bowler in the GB team. And we, we got a gold. But then played uh, table tennis, uh, did the mixed pairs for the ladies uh, with um, Diana and then did table tennis in pairs because it's much more fun. You've got the camaraderie. It's just, you know, you try you try harder because you can't let your partner down which is always good but it's, it's 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 you know individual events are great it's like the cricket ball throw i love i love the cricket ball throw because i can try and squeeze it in between the work i do in the british games with the kids and teens so i'm still working run off throw a cricket ball three times and back in we're working again results. So <laughs> <nothing else. laughs> doesn't take up too much time
3: training wherever you can <laughs>
0: Always fun.
3: Simon, it's been it's been a joy to have you on the podcast. I'm sure we could sit here for much longer and talk about all sorts of stories and experiences from transplant sport, sport itself, and just transplant life. Uh, one thing I, w- I know you said that you, you don't really give advice, you give experience, but I'm asking everyone this question. If you could, what's one piece of advice you'd give to someone facing a transplant?
0: I would say for facing a transplant is... Be ready, understand your own body, want the transplant, and that, that sounds really, really strange but people fear a transplant because of being unsure of what's next. And I assure you, having a transplant will open up your life once again to so much positive, uh, positive outset you know you you can be whatever you want to be you can try and achieve whatever you want to achieve but you have to look after that that transplant that that is really key i think you, you can't just take it for granted that it's just going to be there forever and just embrace every moment of every day because you've got that transplant
3: there we go simon thank you very much for coming on I think a lot of listeners will find your story inspirational and will take a lot from it, as I have. So thank you again. Thanks to my guest today, Simon Elmore. I've been Lewis Daniels, and you've been listening to Transplants Take on Sport.
2: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.